That's the message today. We're going to talk about vocation. We're going to talk about living out our calling. And I've often said, it's really easy to get saved. And it's easy to say yes to Jesus, uh, eternal salvation. It's a very simple prayer. And it's also easy to be assured of that, because the Bible says that Jesus came that we might be certain that we have eternal life in 1 John. So if you're not saved or not sure that you're saved, let me know. <laughs> we'll take care of that today. Whether you're online or whether you're here in person, we'll pray for that and get that taken care of. It's so simple to get saved. It's so simple to be assured of our salvation, because the Bible promises us that. But it's hard to live out our vocation. Day by day, are we doing what God created us to do? It's a job that never stays done. And we start to feel like, okay, I finally am in the groove. Uh, all the all the wheels are lined up with the railroad tracks here. We're moving forward, and then it gets undone on us because life throws things at us, and new opportunities open up. And we go through failures in life. We're going to talk about vocation today, and the average American has been fired in an ugly way about twice. That's the average. So if you haven't been fired yet, you're, you still need to uh, probably experience that at some point. Uh, I've been fired in some nasty ways, and uh, it's, it's challenging. All of a sudden, you're in a different path, and you're trying different things, and you have to adjust. Uh, I look at you, and I know everybody in this congregation so well, and I know that a lot of you have adjusted to all kinds of things, especially during the pandemic. Some of your vocations have disappeared, and you've had to reinvent yourselves and make things work in a different way. So as I've said before, getting saved is easy. Living out your vocation in the Lord is hard. And it never stays done. So we need to stick close to the word of the Lord and look at what the Bible says about vocation. And we need to uh, be very intentional about our vocation. We're doing a sermon series. This is number two, a new series on brain and Bible. We're looking at the insights of clinical psychology. And what I mean by that is the insights of people who've done a lot of counseling. Because count psychology is literally... Uh, the study of the soul in Greek, psyche, psyche, psyche is the Greek word for, for soul, and psychology is the study of the soul. Who thinks the Bible has something to do with the soul? So as we learn things about our own psychology, as we learn things about how people think, it's amazing how much the Bible has to say about all of those things. We have 12 fresh Bible topics. Today is uh, 2 of 12, and the series is called Beyond Order. We're going to talk about moving forward with our lives. There's two big vocational questions. I'd like you to repeat after me. Number one, who am I? Number two, why am I here? Those are the big vocational questions, and they're really, really challenging. Why are we here? Who are we? How did God make us? What are our gifts? What do we have to offer the world? And why were we put here? And you might think, well, yeah, I was put here for I'm not sure what. As long as I get saved, that's fine. But the truth is, it's especially hard in a prosperous society. Why is that? Because survival is not really an issue for most of us in North America and Western Europe. We've got people listening right now in the Philippines where survival can be a real issue. For a lot of us, COVID was, a, was an inconvenience, a lot of inconvenience. But in some parts of the world right now, it's way more than that. Go to India, where they can't do school online because they've got six kids and they've got one phone. So which kid gets the phone? 
to do class online, if they can even pull it off. Karen, you've been out to some places where this kind of thing hits and they don't have a, a fallback. 20 years ago, what would we have done without Zoom and without all the things we've got now? Well, most of the world doesn't have that. So they're dealing with these things at a survival level. And kids are missing two years of school, not graduating, not getting things done, and it's just a really big challenge. And here in the prosperous West, Western culture, that'd be Western Europe, United States, Japan, Korea, places like that, here in the West, survival is not an issue, and so it's tempting just to coast. You know why we coast? Because we can. Truth is, most of us aren't going to starve. Most of us aren't going to be street people within the next few weeks. It, 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 it's easy just to say, well, I'm going to be pretty much taken care of, so let me just get a lazy boy and Netflix and lots of donuts, and I'll be fine. And we really can coast, and our biggest temptation in the West is to coast. To coast and not engage, because we really don't have to. It's not a survival issue like it was for our great-grandparents when they carved this country out of nothing. And so that's my biggest temptation. I'll be honest. I, I'm tempted to coast from time to time and not do what God had me here to do. And as the, the rest of my life gets shorter and shorter, I think, can I just coast that out? Can I just coast through that and not really have to pay attention to what the Lord wants me to do? Who am I? Why am I here? Well, the book, Beyond Order, was written by Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is arguably the most influential intellectual in the world today. You get billions of people listening to his podcast and everything else, and he's really good at framing questions and raising issues. Why? Because he was a clinical psychologist for years, and he deals with people's issues, and he brings them out in his lectures. And he's got a chapter in his book, chapter two, and it's called this. Imagine who you could be and then aim single-mindedly at that. Imagine who you could be and aim single-mindedly at that. Now, the challenge for us in America, North America, is that we're so competitive, we just want to be better than the people sitting next to us. We don't necessarily want to be our best self. And our best self might be different than being better than someone else. We're going to talk about competition and what a problem that can be. But to be more Christ-like, and we're going to talk about that, doesn't mean to grow a beard, wear sandals, and walk around Israel. To be more Christ-like means to be our very best self that God made us to be. Because what did Jesus do? He was his very best self. What's the best Wendy? What's the best Deanna? What's the best Chris? What's the best Dave? What would that look like? And I look at myself and I think, what would be my best self? Well, my best self would be my skills fully developed, not wasting time, engaging my skills for benefiting other people, getting rid of some bad sectors in my hard drive so that they don't continue to sabotage what I'm doing, working on those things. What would be your best self? And as you get older, you start to get a better feel for what that would look like. But once again, it's tempted, tempting just to coast, isn't it? And not have to deal with it. Because this is hard. It'd be really nice not to have to deal with this. Just binge watch another thing on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or whatever and put it out of your mind. It's so easy to do. So what would be our best self? Imagine what we could be and then aim single-mindedly at that. And Jordan Peterson got this insight by dealing with clinical psychological counseling with people because a lot of people are aimless, not sure where they're headed. 
and that can cause all kinds of problems. Well, we're going to look at the most famous vocational calling in the Bible. It's the calling of Moses. Now, Moses was a lot older than anyone in this room. He was 80 years old when he was called. So those of you who think, well, I'm too old for a calling. Now I'm 64. Too bad. Uh, you're still 16 years to go before your before your Moses uh, Moses age. So let's look at Exodus 3, 1 through 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And yes, I'm a child of the 60s, and I can't get past the the Beverly Hillbillies, when I see Jethro. I, I think of the cement pond and the rope for belts and the whole thing. The priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, or Sinai, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. What is this kind of fire a symbol for in the Bible? What happened at Pentecost? There were flames of fire above the apostles' heads. This is a symbol for the presence of the Holy Spirit, a flame, a fire. And he was drawn to the fire. He was drawn to the presence of the Holy Spirit and is from the Holy Spirit, it's from the Holy Spirit's presence that we get our calling. God doesn't send us a printout of what we're supposed to do. It's a spiritual experience to receive a calling from God. And we were praying. We had a great prayer meeting. If you've never been to it, come at 9.15. We meet over here in the fellowship hall. And we were praying that during Tim's praise set, some of you would be drawn to the flame of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would start to speak to you. That's why we do worship at the beginning of the service to bring us into the presence of God, to bring us in front of that burning bush so that we can sense God's presence. It's not about music. It's not about singing. Music is a way of, uh, of bringing us into God's presence. Who here is very touched occasionally by music? Uh, it, it, gets, it gets us at a very deep level. It triggers things in us. And music is beyond cognition or thinking. It's a, it's a spiritual slash emotional slash whatever kind of thing. And very often, music can bring us into God's presence. Tamara, you've got that story about singing in a choir before you came to faith, and all of a sudden, your whole choir was overwhelmed with the presence of God while they were singing. And that often happens, even to people like me who are not musical. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from where? From the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Here's the vocational calling that's coming. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals. Take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Why does he have to take his shoes off? Because according to Hebrew spirituality, Semitic spirituality, Middle Eastern spirituality, we are literally antennas receivers for the Holy Spirit. We are the connection between the spiritual and the physical. What does Jesus do when he wants to heal someone? He invites people to lay hands on people because we are the connection from God to this person. And if you've ever done prayer ministry, you've felt the power of God come through you while you're praying for someone else. 
And some people have come to faith because of that. They've had their hands on people at an alpha course. They're learning how to pray, and they feel the presence of God coming through their, their very body to the person they're praying for. And that actually does happen. And so he has to take the sandals off his feet. Why? Because he needs to be, if you know anything about electronic equipment, you need to be grounded. You need to be connected to the earth or to another person where you receive. Nobody in the Bible ever asks anyone to bow their head and hold their hands for prayer. Just how Middle Eastern people prayed and still do. They pray standing up, receiving like, a, like an antenna. We receive. And the power of God flows down from us, from, from heaven, through us into creation. And we're supposed to be God's hands, feet, and everything else. We are the connectors between the spiritual and the physical. And so he has to take off his shoes because God wants him to get this message, wants it not to be garbled, and he needs to be grounded like good electronic equipment. So he picks up everything that's coming. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land, a good land and a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And so God is calling Moses to meet the needs of people, oppressed people, people who are enslaved. And very often, God will call us, not just to fulfill our lives, but to meet a big need out there, to fix something, to make something better out there. In fact, any economist will tell you, you get paid the proportion to which you add value to the culture. The more you add value to someone's life, the more you're going to get paid. I was on a sort of argument thread online a couple weeks ago, and someone said, Nobody's worth a billion dollars. Nobody should get paid a billion dollars. And I was tempted to write back, so did you, did you type this on your cell phone? Because your cell phone was designed by people who added a lot of value to people's lives, like billions of dollars worth of value. It saved time and everything else. Your phone, folks, replaces like 17 different things. And the people that invent stuff like that make a lot of money because they add a lot of value to people's lives. That's how that works. We often go looking for a job so we can get paid and we can be fulfilled, but really it's about adding value. It's about improving the lives of our customers. And if you're good with customers, you'll never have to worry about having a job. If you understand that it's about the customer, it's about that, per it's about service. Who thinks that good servers get bigger tips? Yeah, they do. They do because they're good at serving. I give really big tips to really good servers. Because they should be rewarded for what they're doing. You get kind of skimpy ones sometimes. Crabby servers too. <laughs> Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Here's the calling. Vocation, by the way, is Latin for calling. Calling implies a caller. Somebody calling us. You can't have a vocation without a caller. 
somebody who called you into that. The whole idea of having a vocation implies a God, for goodness sakes. Just like Thanksgiving implies that we have someone to thank. So your vocation is really your calling from God, vocatio in Latin. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He's going, oh, no, 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 no. I'm 80 years old. I'm kind of dysfunctional. By the way, I'm a felon, and I'm on the run. I killed some people, and I really don't want to go back to face the people that are going to do something to me for that. But, but Moses said to God, who am I? We were just singing that, weren't we, Kim? Who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I? And what am I doing here? Who am I and why am I here? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And they did. We could go on and on about the bargaining that uh, Moses did with God. And it was fairly intense. And if you're bargaining with God, that's a really good sign that you're getting a call. And if that calling is something that you can do easily without God's help, it's probably not your calling. Something that you can easily do without God's help, you don't even need God for that. The whole idea of our calling is it's usually bigger than what we can do, and we need God's help to do it. So many people don't take jobs because they say, oh, I could never do that. You know what's beautiful about kids? Little kids. Ask any kid, could you become an astronaut? Oh, yeah. Could you become president someday? Absolutely. Are you going to be rich someday? Yep. Somehow that gets cultured out of us. But that ability, Jesus says, have the faith of a child. I could do that. Folks, I have taken on the craziest things in my vocational life things I have no ability for. And it's really fun watching God just jump in and do stuff. It's just it's just amazing. I don't I don't know anything about engineering. And God called me to start an engineering school at Concordia here in Irvine and they're starting in the fall. We've got the professor and everything else. And uh, Kim was talking about um, about ultrasounds and right when I got the calling to do that, I kid you not, I got introduced to the person who invented ultrasound, Kim Crewell. And we've become friends. He lives in Frankenmuth, uh, Michigan, and we talk, and he gave me all the advice I needed to start an engineering school. I came up with it. That's how that works. God supplies the, the know-how in big ways. And I just took notes on our phone call and put that together into an action plan, and next thing you know, we've got an engineering school. This can happen. If it's something you can do, then it's probably not from God. Now, your gifting might be in there but he's going to supplement that and bring it across the line. You've heard me say many times that life is like a bowling alley, and it's the same thing with vocational stuff. One gutter ball on the right is taking the initiative yourself and leaving God out of it. I'm going to go to this. I'm going to plan for this. I'm going to study for this. I'm going to get this done. On the left is the gutter ball on the left, I'm just going to wait for God to do everything because I want to make sure it's all God and not me. Both of which are gutter balls. I'm a terrible bowler. Just a terrible bowler. I, I know this will shock you, but I have trouble keeping 
just you know staying involved for that long. I just I check out after about eight frames. I just I'm kind of done, you know, with the full polling thing, and uh, I just can't stay focused that long. And I'll tell you this: I'm a bowling expert on this. The easiest thing to do is throw a gutter ball. You can do it 100 percent of the time. I can I can a thousand percent of the time I can throw a gutter ball if I wanted to. And one of the gutter balls is I'm going to run my life myself. I'm going to do it my way, like Frank Sinatra. Or the other side, you can say, I'm just going to wait till God does it all. And guess what? We have to take initiative, and we also have to take his guidance and his calling. And it's not easy to negotiate what's in the middle of the wood between the, between the, the gutters. I could sound so pious. Oh, we just need to make sure it's all God and none of us, all of God. and none of Folks, if it was all God and none of us, why would he need us? He could just make stuff happen. He wants to engage us just like you do, those of you with kids. You want your kids to be engaged with the whole process. You don't want to do it all for them. And you don't want them to flop around doing it on their own with no advice either. There's a tension there. And God has that tension with us. He draws us out, and for each person it's going to be different. I would love to be a bug on the wall for the married couples in our church because God didn't put any compatible people together, and it's kind of fun to watch. It's uh, uh, People say, well, we're going to get divorced because we're not compatible. I'm thinking there are no compatible couples. God, God puts incompatible people together because he wants entertainment. I think he just wants to watch us. And uh, it, Who thinks Dave and Kathy are identical? They're, they're different. God's going to work different with Dave than he is with Kathy. And that ratio of initiative to guidance is going to be different with each person, and we're going to have to slog it out with God, and it's going to be a challenge just like it was for Moses. A good sign that you're on the right track is you're really negotiating hard with God, and, and it's difficult. It's challenging because keeping the ball in the middle of the, of the bowling alley is hard. Just hitting a few pins is hard. It's easy to throw a gutter ball. And we need to try to keep it there in the middle. Nehemiah in the Bible, he almost throws a right gutter ball. He's very initiative taken. He basically says, Jerusalem's in trouble. I'm cut to the heart. I'm going to go do something about it. God, you coming along or not, basically. And he negotiates with God all the way through, but he, takes, he leads the charge. He's a very self-initiating person, but he doesn't leave God behind. So the ball is right on the edge of that right gutter ball the whole way down. And he rebuilds the city. Other people don't want to move like Moses. He's like almost near the left gutter ball. But he doesn't go in because he stay, you stay in conversation with God, you're going to keep the ball on the wood. And don't quit if it's difficult. God is a difficult character. Oh, I always get comforted by God. I'm saying, what God are you talking to? God is challenging. God has a big personality. Yes, he will comfort us when we're in trouble. But most of the time, he's a challenging character, a big challenging character. Look at his personality in the Bible. He is not just some, you know, fluffy, stuffy animal that just is okay with everything we do. But here's the big key. We have to avoid the toxic and corrosive comparison trap, comparison game. We have been programmed in our culture to compare ourselves with other people. And every time we do it, we will get depressed, especially if you live in California. Folks, 
there's 17 million people living within two, mile, uh, two hours' drive of right here. I guarantee you there's someone better looking, more intelligent, and better at what you do than, than us. There it just is. All over the place. And if you try to compare yourself to other people, it, it's a dead end. What did the, what's the Jordan Peterson question again? Be the best version of yourself. And aim single-mindedly at that. It's so tempting to try to be like other people. What drives us crazy the most when we're growing up? Our parents saying, couldn't you be more and more like so-and-so? I got that occasionally. I had a great mom, but occasionally she'd say, did you see how polite Jeff was over here to his mom? And I'm thinking, I don't want to be Jeff. I get that with the the pastor thing too. People come to me, why can't you be a pastor like so-and-so? Uh, he's got a better personality than you, that kind of thing. What do you do with that? You, you have to be the best version of who you are. I am really, really passionate about the Bible. And I'm going to sit here and talk about the Bible for a long time sometimes on Sunday, and that's just how I'm wired. I'm not going to go a mile wide and a half inch deep. I'm not going to do it. Some people are good at that. I don't want to do that. I want to do that. I, I want to go deep into the Word of God. And that's how God made me to be. And I'm not going to compare myself to other pastors. In fact, I listen to other preachers, and I'm always just so glad I'm not preaching. It's just really nice to hear something else for a change than your own, your own thoughts in your head. The comparison trap will always get you. Why can't you be like someone else? Folks, don't be like someone else. What is the best version of you? Best version of you is a really beautiful picture, by the way. And there's a lot of great steps along the way to becoming that over time. The best Moses was someone who succeeded in bringing the people out of Egypt, and he succeeded. The best version of Nehemiah was rebuilding Jerusalem, and he succeeded. They did it differently because just like Dave and Kathy, they're different from each other. It's not going to be the same for each person. Don't get into the comparison trap. And the problem is our schools, and please hear me, I'm not bashing teachers. Some of you are fantastic teachers, and you know who you are. But our system in North America is based on standardization. We standardize the test, standardize this, standardize that. And standardization basically tells turtles they have to climb trees. That's why I have a picture there of a turtle climbing a tree. It, we're told to do things we can't do. And people have really different giftings. We have these gigantic schools. Who thinks there isn't peer pressure to become a certain kind of person in those gigantic schools? We need to be the best version of ourselves. School teaching needs to be more and more specialized, not standardized. If you want to educate people well, you help them become the best version of themselves. Some of us, including me, are never going to be good at math. It's not going to happen. I look at a calendar and I just, because there's numbers all over it. I, I can't stand it. It's, it, it's never going to happen, people. Never. I can read dead languages better than almost anybody I know, but that's, you've got to be able to do what you do and be able to be the best version of yourself. I'm still mad about what happened to me in first grade at the swimming, swimming pool in Kellogg, Idaho. Because we went down there because we were going to have get little badges for a swimming test. Can you swim across the pool and back? Yep. Can you jump in the deep end and tread water? Yep. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you go underwater for a certain amount of time? Yep. 
Can you float? No. My friends got the little badge and I didn't. Folks, I do not float. There is nothing you can do about that. I, I sink to the bottom of a pool and bounce off the bottom. I don't, somebody must fed me lead when I was young or something. I don't know what it is, but I do not float. And the, the guy was telling me, you're not trying hard enough. Trying to float? You either float or you don't. I mean, that's just physics. <laughs> you can't float. And I'm st- as you see, I'm still a little worked up about that. But <laughs> I was just as good a swimmer as my friends, but I didn't get the badge, and they did, and they were telling me, hey, you get the badge, you know, that kind of stuff that first graders do. Standardization is killing us, and it's making us feel like we have to compete with other people. People, don't compete with anybody. Be the best version of yourself. Be what God made you to be. And that best version of yourself is always a little bit out ahead of us because none of us are there yet. It's a journey. We're working on it. We can become the better version of ourselves. That standardization just kills us. The competition and education and culture telling turtles that they have to climb trees. It makes no sense at all. Also, when we look at the Bible, and the Bible was all written by people who were Semitic, S-E-M-I-T-I-C, Semitic. Semitic people are Middle Eastern people who think a certain way. Jesus was a Semitic person. Semitic people, this is so important for your vocational development. Pay attention. This is hard stuff to understand. Semitic people, this is crazy, don't have a timeline. They have no past, present, future. Their language doesn't have that in it. You know, I ate this, I'm eating this, I will eat it, past, present, future. We've got that in English. They don't have it in Hebrew. They have two tenses, finished and unfinished. The caterpillar and the butterfly, in process and complete. Things are either in process or they're complete. They don't have a sense of past, present, and future, a timeline like we have. And that's really hard for us to get our heads around. And you're thinking, oh, they must. No, they don't. It's a whole different operating system, not just a different grammar, not just a different vocabulary, a whole different operating system. They don't have time tenses. Things are in process or they're finished. And here's the goal to life, by the way, folks. Having faith is living into the finished product, living into your best self. If you're not feeling well, it's living into strength and health. It's not trying to get rid of symptoms. If you're poor, it's living into abundance. It's not trying to not go broke. It's focusing on the promise, not the problem. Focusing on the completed version of you. What does the completed version of me and the completed version of you look like? What does that mean? And how do we move in our imperfect, our caterpillar? We're all caterpillars moving towards the butterfly. What does your butterfly look like? And your butterfly is going to be having a different pattern than someone else's butterfly. But what is your best butterfly, and how are you in process, and as a caterpillar, how are you moving in that direction? Are you focused on the completed? And we talk about that in the Bible. We talk about, um, it, it talks about Jesus saying, it is finished on the cross, it's complete. So his work was completed at that point. He hit butterfly zone when he was on the cross. There's that process and there's the completion. Do we ever fully get there in this life? No, we don't, but we have to have that in front of us. What is the best Rick? What is the best Tom? What is the best John? Who, who are 
those people? What does that butterfly look like, and how are we living into that? How are we in process of becoming the best of what we can be? And it's okay not to get there right away. In fact, it will take every day of our lives to the very end of our lives. We'll still be in process. And we get a lot of joy out of that. I love this little quote from Jordan Peterson's book, Beyond Order. Every story requires a beginning that is not good enough and an ending place that is better. Truth is carried best in stories, not in flowcharts, not in lists. Truth is carried best in stories. And who understood this better than anyone? Jesus, who taught in parables. Those parables carry a freight load of, of truth in a way that's really easy to apply. If Jesus had just got up there and taught ethics like they do at college, we all would have forgotten it. But if you hear the story of the Good Samaritan or the prodigal son, you'll remember it for the rest of your life hearing it once. Hearing it once. They're such well-crafted stories that you not only remember it, hearing it once, you can tell it for the rest of your life perfectly because it's that perfectly etched in your mind. That's how truth gets told. So what's your story? What's your testimony? The word martyr doesn't mean in Greek and in the New Testament, someone who dies for your faith. The word martyr is witness. A martyr is a witness. Somebody who can tell his or her story. And you can tell the story about you're in process. That's your testimony, by the way. Too many people tell their testimony about getting saved, which is fine. It's fine. But I never hear testimonies in churches about the process of living into your vocation, which is way more important. Because getting saved is easy. Living out your vocation is hard. It's an ongoing daily struggle. And we need to have testimonies about that. Testimonies about how we came to faith are great. Stan has a fantastic website, one of my favorite websites on the whole Internet, How I Met My Father. And people tell stories about how they got saved, but along the way, the story usually is about how they found what they're supposed to be. There's other stuff in the story. And it's that other stuff that really stands out in those stories. You can listen to those stories, get a chance. Howimetmyfather.com, right? Because there's, there's vocational stories mixed in with the salvation stories and the direction of their lives and where they went and how this worked. Can you tell your story as more than just a salvation story? How has God guided me? How has God provided for me? What did I learn along the way? Where did I make mistakes? How did those mistakes turn out to be the best things ever for me because they are the things that got me moving in the right direction? Getting our stories straight. Wouldn't you love it if people wouldn't bore you with conversations, but rather they would tell you stories like that about their lives? Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't you love to listen to people's vocational stories? There are some people that drive me nuts. Uh, Dutch have a great word for it. Strak waterfall. A speaking waterfall. It just comes at you. Just and they don't pick up on cues. They just keep talking and going and going and going. And Oh, gosh. I still remember being on a bus once crossing Montana. And this lady kept telling me about how her uncle always bought a Buick. And it, it just, for hours, it was awful. It was this, this speaking waterfall of stuff that means nothing. Don't you just crave hearing meaningful stories from people? about? And you can get clues for your own life if you hear sometimes other people's vocational stories. How has God led you? 
The story of Moses is not the story of Moses getting saved. The story of Moses is the story of how he led the people out of Israel. Get your story straight. In fact, it's your most powerful witness in evangelism, your story. By far. Your most powerful tool is not theology. People say, I can't share my faith. I don't know enough Bible. Folks, you know your own story and how the Lord guided you. Use that. Use that. I go out for breakfast with John once in a while, about every month. And John knows how to tell his stories. And he's, I could listen to him all day. I could, because he weaves faith into his stories. And I walk away inspired. Because to him, his life has been that journey. And there's been ups and downs and all that stuff. You should do storytelling lessons, John, on how to do that. That'd be awesome. Heard a great quote the other day. A lot of people are waiting for the bus to heaven, missing out on their vocational journey on earth. Spend their whole life waiting for the bus to heaven. And they're missing the whole thing. Joyce Meyer says, there's a lot of people headed for heaven living in hell on earth because they're not getting their lives together. And we need to focus on what God put us here for. Because guess what? Even in eternity, all there's ever going to be is the presence. In eternity, you're going to be in the presence. Here you're in the present. And if you can't handle the present here, how are we going to handle the present in eternity? We have to show up for our lives and show up in the present and show up for God. That's the key. Waiting for the bus to heaven, missing our vocational journey on earth with the Lord. And your calling may not be churchy. Many pastors at this point will say, okay, your calling is to volunteer for this, that, and the other thing, and I want this whole list filled out. And... Uh, Truth is, most of our callings are not churchy. They're just not. Uh, my calling is pretty churchy, as you can imagine. I'm up here doing churchy stuff. But for some people, your calling is air conditioning. For some of you, it's accounting. For some of you, like Stan, it's financial planning and the things that come with that. Robert, you're running a gigantic building in Newport. Uh, our calling isn't necessarily churchy. And it can be just as spiritual. Your calling is not better if it's churchy. I still believe, of course, I'm a pastor, that your calling is to come to church every Sunday, but that's you know that's, that's another part of it. And to volunteer. We, we need to volunteer. That's important. But still, your calling may not be churchy, and it might be just as spiritual. So think about that. It doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, Karen does heroic stuff in missions. And it might be that, but it might be something else. It might be something less... Who knows? There's a lot of things out there. And play fair along the way. I love watching Dutch soccer. I grew up without soccer. Soccer was not... I think soccer got invented by the time I was a, not a teenager anymore. It, believe it or not, I grew up in a time of no soccer. But I got really excited because Wendy's Dutch, and I got really excited about watching soccer in Holland when I was there. I've got a favorite team, Sparta, whom I follow, and Rotterdam, and the whole thing. And I still remember the Dutch national team in the world championships. And Holland's a little country, little country, like the size of L.A. County, population-wise and everything. And they always make the top four, and they never win it. And they really don't care. The main goal of Dutch soccer is moy sailing, play beautifully. People talk about that. Moises fail. They play beautifully. 
picture of Rob, uh, Robin upon Paris, Parisi there. Best goal, whoops, best goal ever, ever, best goal ever shot as far as I'm concerned. I was watching the game myself. Put that back up there. There we go. I kid you not, the ball was way up in the air, and he was like almost to the half field line, and he sees the ball coming. He flies through the air, and from, I don't know, 40 yards out, heads it into, well, he's flying through the air, heads it into the goal. Wow. <laughs> they didn't win the championship, but that was beautiful. The idea of fair play and playing well along the way is important. It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Be honorable. Be honest along the way. Tell the truth. Don't cut corners. Don't cheat. If someone stands up at your funeral and says, this person played the game of life beautifully, wouldn't it be great to hear? Didn't necessarily succeed with it but played beautifully, played well, played fair with other people, did things that that were fun to watch. I love watching our musicians up here, and they play well, but they play beautifully too. They love doing it, and their love of doing it is all over their faces. Kathy has been paid zero for singing up here, and she's sang up here the whole, since 2006. But the joy of the Lord is all over her face when she's singing. She sings beautifully. There's something about doing that that is just, it draws us to that shining, doesn't it? There's something about that. It is a beautiful thing to watch. So play beautifully and play fair with people. You don't want to walk over the backs of people to get somewhere. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Take another path. Failure is a part of life. Failure is a part of everyone in the Bible's life. Play beautifully. Play fair. The key to discernment. Okay. Sometimes in life, we think we've got our calling figured out and something goes wrong. People walk out of our lives. Uh, our whole profession dries up. We have to take a different course. Or sometimes we just get tired of what we're doing and we want to do something else. This is really important. Listen to this. When we change course, is it changing course to get closer to what God wants us to do or is it just giving up on what we're doing? And here's how you can tell. There's a really easy way to tell. If changing course in life, your life becomes a lot easier, it's probably not from the Lord. If it gets more challenging, it probably is. God calls people to challenging things. And if you change course in life to make things easier and lighter, it might be a cop-out. Not always, but it might be a cop-out. And the best way to discern whether or not it's of God is, is this more challenging than what I was doing? So often, it's, it's so tempting to take the easier path and think, well, God just wants me to take an easier path. And he might. But in general, when God calls people in the Bible, like he called Moses, who is shepherding Jethro's sheep, who thinks it's a little bit harder to shepherd Israel? When you change course and it's harder, it's probably from God. I know that that's not good news, but I had to throw that in there. Wendy and I like to hike. Almost every Friday we go hiking somewhere. If it's too hot in the desert, we go to the mountains. Uh, 
we just love to do that. Um, we love to get out in nature, be outdoorsy stuff. We met 40-some years ago in the outdoor rec club at our college, the hiking, rafting, camping people. And we still like doing that. And I have an app called All Trails. And without any Wi-Fi or anything, it tells you where you are, which is kind of creepy because the internet knows where you are no matter what, even if you're in the woods. But it knows it tells you exactly where you are on every trail on these topographical maps. And in order for us to make it through life, we need to have a map. We need to get into the Word of God. And here's the problem. This is a real challenge. You need the Bible to work out the guidelines of your vocation. But the Bible will almost never tell you what your vocation is. For that, you need the Holy Spirit. And you need other people. Because the Bible isn't going to say in First Camera, that uh, uh, first camera four, that the next month you go do this, or you move here, you know, or uh, yeah, or second Carolyn, you know, Carolyn, you in verse three, you go do this. It doesn't tell you where to live, whom to marry, what job to take. It won't do that. It won't give you specifics. It will give you general guidelines. But for discerning our vocation, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we need to listen to one another. We need to pay attention and pray together, and ask for those things. Because without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to find our vocation. The Bible will never tell you, take a job as a bricklayer. It's not going to happen. But you might need to take a job as a bricklayer. So we need to have that guidance. I love this, how this is written here. We need to know where we're going, or we will drown in uncertainty, unpredictability, and chaos. And we will starve for hope and inspiration. Let me say that one more time. We need to know where we are going. We need to have a spiritual all-trails map. Or we will drown in uncertainty, unpredictability, and chaos. Who thinks there's a lot of that out there right now? A lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos, a lot of craziness. And we'll starve for hope and inspiration. I was reading an article in the OC Register. I can't remember if it was yesterday or today. And it was all about financial planning. And there's some women who are good at financial planning, but in general, that's an exception, and that's statistically true. And the question was, why are men more likely to have specific goals financially, to more likely to hire a financial planner, more likely to do a bunch of other stuff? For whatever reason, most men, there's exceptions, most men have more specific financial goals. They're a little bit clearer on them. And most women have less clear financial goals. And men take risks, do all kinds of things, and end up often far. I'm not saying this is the way it should be. This is just this is the way it is. And the reason is because of a lack of specificity. That's the article got to the end. Got to the end. It said women in general have less specific financial goals. The most common goal for women was not to live paycheck to paycheck. That's pretty vague. Pretty vague. That was number one. And so we have to have more specific goals in order for things to work out. This is why New Year's resolutions virtually never work. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to be a nicer person. It's too vague. Studies have shown us we need SMART goals. SMART goals are specific, measurable, attainable with God's help if you're a Christian, relevant to your values and what the Bible talks about in boundaries, and 
time-based. A wish without, uh, uh, excuse me, a goal without a time limit is just a wish. When are we going to get things done by? When is this goal attainable? The master of smart goals of all U.S. presidents, I'm not talking politically, but the best smart goal that was ever set by a U.S. president was by John F. Kennedy. And what did he say? We will commit this nation to achieving the goal of landing a man on the moon, bringing him safely back to Earth before this decade is out. That was a smart goal. All of those things. All of those things. And generally, politicians promise us vague stuff. Oh, we're going to bring down unemployment. We're going to, uh, you know, Lower taxes. We're gonna, there's nothing specific. And when there's nothing specific, nothing happens. Nothing happens. We need the more specific goals. I'm going to lose this much weight by this date. I'm going to uh, get this done by this time, and it's attainable with God's help, and it's in line with my values. Do you see where vague goals just get us? Just, yeah, we just get lost. We wander. That's why I love the All Trails app. It tells you, tells you exactly where you're going, how many miles it's going to be, and where you're going to be at the end. It's extremely helpful. So we have to have that in our lives, too. If you really haven't been going, it's easy to lose a decade. And if you haven't been going anywhere in your life, and I've lost a few decades in there, it's easy to lose a decade, generally because our goals weren't specific enough. And they're just kind of vague. I just kind of hope I do a little better this year. Well, okay. Then 10 years later, you're doing about the same as you were. Specificity of goals is really, really key. Probably the, I mean, think how crazy that was, landing men on the moon. We haven't done it for decades since then. But because it was a smart goal, it worked. And this whole area developed because of it, economically. This whole area, the aerospace and everything else, I mean, we would not be here the way we are now without that smart goal having happened. So that's just a really important thing. Have specific goals. So, one of the goals is to be the hero of your own story. Be a fair-minded traveler who plays beautifully. A creative transformer who makes things better wherever you go. And most of all, it's not for us. It's not about us. We want to do this to be a benefactor to our family, to others, and to broader society. We want to make the world a better place. Leave things better than we found them. Leave things better than we found them. Leaving creation better than we found it. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Folks, good works don't get us saved. But this isn't about salvation. This is about what we do when we're saved. Getting saved is easy. Living out our life for the Lord is challenging every day, and it always will be. And I'm so blessed to have all of you helping me do that. And we're here to help each other do that. And we're here to help each other discern these things. Every day is a precious gift from God, and we want to let our light so shine that they might see what we're doing and glorify your Father who in heaven. How do we do that? To be, how do we shine like that? We shine like that by being the very best version of ourselves. The closer we get to our butterfly self, the brighter we shine. The brighter we shine, the more we inspire other people to shine. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, stop hiding uncomfortable things in the fog, un uncomfortable things in our relationships, 
uncomfortable things about ourselves that we put off. We just hide things in the fog. That's okay. <laughs> there you go. We're going to talk about that next week, but today's lesson is all about becoming the very best version of ourselves with God's help. Well, let's all stand and pray. Lord, we, we're all caterpillars, and, and yet uh, there's a butterfly that uh, will be coming. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would give us this week clearer vision of what that butterfly looks like the best version of ourselves, and that we would not compare ourselves to someone else's pattern, something they're going after, that we would become the best version of what we can be. Lord, protect us from comparison games, which is toxic and corrosive. Lord, if we're a turtle, we're not meant to climb trees. We're meant to do other things. We pray, Lord, that that would help us do those things. Lord, I pray for the joy that comes from being on track, being on the journey. Lord, I love being going out hiking with my wife on track or heading up to a waterfall, just knowing we're on the way to go see that. And Lord, sometimes we just need to get up and get moving. We give you thanks for heroes of the Bible, Lord, who were flawed just like we are, but uh, you called them to do beautiful things. Pray that we might create beauty for others this week. We pray, Lord, that our lights might shine a little brighter this week with intentionality and with that uh, flame of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Give you thanks, Lord, for the gift of worship, which brings us to that burning bush every time we enter in. Pray that you continue to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just sit and wait for all your goodness. Want to feel your presence. I could just stay. I could just stay right where I am. Want to feel Want to feel something again.
could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence. I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. I could hold on, I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe, I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never let these walls down. But you call me higher, you have called me deeper and I'll go where you will be. You have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will be. I will be yours, and I will be yours for all my life. I will be yours, oh, I will be yours for all my life. I will be yours, oh, I will be yours for all my life. So let your mercy light the path before me. Cause you have called me higher, you have called me deeper. And I'll go where you will lead me,
for a long time, and I don't think I've ever seen songs that fit the message better than this one. Like it's written right out of the Bible. I'd like to invite those of you who are here in person to uh, close by getting into groups of three. And I know this is out of your comfort zone, but uh, do it anyway. So get in groups of three if you would. And uh, just bless each other's vocations. Just bless each other. So go ahead and do that right now. Go ahead and get in groups of three. And bless each other's journeys. Bless each other's vocations. And bless each other's journey forward. Encourage each other. Those of you watching on TV, just uh, uh, if you're by yourself, we just bless you. We bless your vocation. We bless your direction. Calling you higher, calling you deeper. And I just pray that uh, calling higher, calling deeper will resonate uh, the song we were just singing. Bless each other's vocations. Bless each other's directions. Bless each other's weeks. Each other's decisions. More of you, Lord. More of your presence. Encourage one another. Tell each other you have what it takes with the Lord's help. You can do this. You have what it takes. 